Want to help keep the lights on in Anarchy Basement? Then go to PRLfans.com. There you can find links to Patreon, PayPal, our Bitcoin info, and other ways to help support the podcast. Now, enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Matt Bergman, and you are listening to the Punk Rock Libertarians podcast, episode 301. I'm here tonight with Jared Schneiderman. What's up, guys? Jacob McCauley. What's going on? Doug Stanley. And the wonderful Arvin Vora is back on the program. Guys, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, dude. Uh, thanks for coming on again, man. Uh, psyched about it, man. Uh, we should have a blast, dude. Um, so much has happened since uh, the last time you were yeah, on. Oh, my God. Tell me about everything that happened since the last time I was on. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, you just want to like, uh, give people an, an update. Like, how would you, how would you like your presidential campaign? And uh, like one question I have is, uh, are you going to try it again in 2024? I mean, probably. I mean, I don't know for sure, right? But but the way that I'm thinking right now, I mean, this it it it's kind of gone from mod, you know, something that I think would be very very beneficial to the country to you know very urgent. Like I think a lot of what I bring right now, uh, in terms of foreign policy knowledge, in terms of uh, health and strategy knowledge in terms of biosecurity, in terms of education, in terms of remote work, in terms of all the things that define today's economic changes. I think those have become just a lot more valuable. So I, I'm, I'm I'm leaning that way right now. So, like, uh, how do you think uh, things like worked out? Are you happy with uh, Joe Jorgensen? Do you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I feel I feel like our team won, right? I mean, I didn't I didn't personally score the winning touchdown, but our team still won, so I'm I'm pretty happy with that. Um, I mean, I've I'm, I've been proud to see some of the things that she said. I mean, it's 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 like this amazing bait and switch that happened, right? Like she came across as very safe, very very like pragmatic, right? She, she kind of had that prag feeling to her. Yeah. She got a high rating from the Pragmatist Caucus. Right. She gets the nomination. Bam! One day later, bring the troops home. Pardon all nonviolent drug offenders. Pardon all and nonviolent non-criminals. I mean, she just came out so strong after getting the nomination, which is the exact opposite of what most candidates have done in the past. So I've been really excited about that. Uh, you know, I've been doing my best to share my, you know, my knowledge about education policy and whatnot with the Jorgensen campaign at their request. So, so I'm, I, to me, this is like our team had a big victory, and I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah, uh, likewise, man. And uh, like, it, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine another candidate kind of like unifying the way that Jorgensen has, you know, because it's kind of like mm-hmm. principled people like her, but at the same time, uh, pragmatic people really like her too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, I think she's doing a great job. Uh, I, you know, if you if you look at some of her her strengths and weaknesses, I think a lot of the changes that have happened in the economy with things being remote and whatnot are just going to play to her strengths. Uh, you know, when when you see, you know, I've, I've I sat next to all the candidates, right? And you know, when I saw when I was sitting, say, next to her, next to Adam Kokesh, in person, the the difference in their presentation is is staggering. But online. You don't. It doesn't come across in the same way. I mean, the the online I think took away some of her perceived weaknesses, while at the same time playing to her strengths. I mean, that that's what's really good about this. So I think we definitely got the right candidate for this circumstance. I, I mean, I'm compared to what we could have had with you know a Mosh or Chafee or anything like mm. that. I mean, this is just so much better than that. But I'll tell you what I'm really excited about. I am super excited about Spike Cohen on the, as, as the running mate. Are you kidding me? The smartest, most radical guy in the party is the running mate? I mean, that blew my mind. I did not see that happening. Yeah, Spike, mm. is, Spike is a definite win, <laughs> yeah. I would say. Um, you know, one thing, you mentioned Amash, and then one thing that I'm liking, I've actually seen him uh, recently, Mm-hmm. He was like uh, speaking out, like like trying to bring awareness to Joe Jorgensen and the Libertarian Party. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that's pretty awesome that like he's in a position where he can do that and he is mm-hmm. doing that. 
and and he is doing that and it's it's you know when when you're when you've done a lot of debates I've, you know i've been in a lot of debates and most debates you're in you're realistically you're kind of head to head you're neck and neck right you're at the same level as the person you're debating right but sometimes you know you are just crushing the opponent and you see them start to get more and more desperate, like their attempts get just more and more flimsy, bizarre, off-topic, and weaker. And we're seeing the mainstream media doing this kind of stuff, right? So C-SPAN has been refusing to write libertarian instead of independent for homage. That's just pathetic. That's a joke to me. They're wow. saying that it's too hard to do. Listen, I've been using software like OPS what? for like two months now. It's not hard. It will take one second for someone like me who doesn't know anything, let alone professional video graphic designers that work at C-SPAN. So, I mean, we're seeing the opposition starting to get desperate in their opposition. And that, to me, that is fantastic news. Yeah, man. That's like the, the first libertarian congressman, Justin Amash. You know, that's, that's a big deal. It is. It is. It's a huge deal. Like, you know, because I've said a number of times, you know, it, it's like when he left LP, you know, I, I wish, I mean, no, I'm sorry, when he left the Republican Party, I wish he would have just announced he was libertarian right away on July 4th, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that disappointed me. I, I was disappointed when he jumped in the presidential race late. Yeah. But, um, you know, since then, I, um, like, I like that he, he appears to actually be sticking with it, you know, sticking with the, the party, you know, because we're used to a lot of Republicans just like hanging around for two months and then when they're done with us, you know, peace, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that has actually been surprising. I mean, he's, he, there's a lot in, in that. I, I was, I was surprised when he decided not to run. I was surprised when he continued fighting after the nomination. I mean, that, that, that definitely, I mean, that, that gained him some points with me. I mean, I haven't big, been his biggest fan. I, there's still a huge areas of disagreement we have on policy in, in certain areas, but, but there, it, it's been, it's been a positive few, few months. I mean, I've, I've been, I've been pleasantly surprised by a lot of things. I've been pleasantly surprised by Jorgensen going from kind of quiet to super radical uh, spike, obviously. And, and yeah, Mosh sticking with it. That that's been a, a, a great and pleasant surprise. Do so you, what do you think about, what do you think about, um, I'm sorry, Jared, uh, you had something to say. I think you were about to ask what I was going to ask, but, um, well, regarding okay. Jorgensen and the things she's been saying, a lot of libertarians, have been upset about her uh, recent Black Lives Matter related tweet. Did you mm-hmm. have a Did you have a take on that at all? That, that is the, that you need to be anti racist. Yeah, that one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you should be anti racist. I, I don't know yeah. much more to add to that. I mean, I am anti racist. I'm opposed to racism because I think it's idiotic. I think it's just a very very stupid way to make decisions. And just as as an educator, as a believer in logic, as a believer in common sense, I just think it's very very stupid. So yeah, yeah. Now now anti racism can be interpreted, in my opinion, wrongly. Right? You can say like sure. anti racism means we find rape people who are racist and then do violence against them. That's not anti racism. That's just substituting just your fist for your words. I think right. being anti racist means actively clearly intelligently arguing against something that's very very stupid here's the great thing about racism in an open debate it always loses because it's just dumb it's not it's not it's i mean we've known for a long time it's just a bad way to make decisions so right. i think that that that's huge but there's another there's a nice underlying subtlety though. there's a really nice underlying subtlety because anti-racist to me has really come close to meaning anti-state abuse of minorities anti-police abuse of minorities. And that to me, and, I, and I, I'm not, I haven't spoken with the campaign on that specific issue, but mm-hmm. that to me is part of the underlying sentiment. At least that's how I'm taking it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I do think people are digging in a bit, a bit too much and thinking that she's, you know, dog whistling to Marxists and all this kind of nonsense. But yeah, I mean, I, I interpreted the same way you did mm-hmm. where it's, you know, in, in the context of her position, being anti-racist is opposing the war on drugs it's opposing yeah you know the military industrial complex it's opposing stuff like that it's not yeah it's not going out in the street and like tearing down statues or killing racists or or, or whatever exactly. you know? <laughs> so it's also really clever politically because right now the two you know the duopoly candidates uh trump and biden are largely considered to be racist and right. she can't strictly be trying to pull votes from the right she should be trying to pull votes from both sides, you should mm-hmm. be trying Democrat votes too. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and that's important, right? She's standing on that principle. And that, that's the, 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 the great thing about, and I think in, in some ways we started to slip away with it from this, but I think Jorgensen is bringing us back to this idea, which is that libertarians, because our principles are so true and so absolute, naturally appeal to different sides. We're not here just trying to manipulate people or pander or anything like that. So yes, we believe we are opposed to collectivism. I believe well, I that mean, libertarianism is an individualistic philosophy. And I think that racism is, you know, to paraphrase Ron Paul, just a very ugly form of collectivism. And if we can purge that kind of collectivism from our hearts, from our minds, from the way we look at things, I think that is a major improvement, not just in the country, but also within the liberty movement. Yeah, for sure. I'm feeling like... Um racism is a sign of intense insecurity mm -hmm. in an individual and just misguided anger and hate that they've yeah. just been taught by either their families or their or the state well yeah i mean and you're right like, i mean when you see when you know i've i've been all over the country and if you look at me you probably guess that i've experienced my share of racism of course i have i mean and it's not and sometimes it's at the hands of the state at the tsa where i need to be searched 575 times you know and I'm with my friends I get searched you know the normal one time so so sometimes at the hand of the states but it's not always at the hand of the state you know, plenty of private individuals are, are raised but here's the thing that you will notice about people who are very openly and actively racist they just don't tend to have a lot going on I mean, these aren't like highly successful people, right? They're right. not like doctors and entrepreneurs and computer programmers. They're mostly deadbeat. So, so yeah, you're you're right. If if the only if your greatest achievement is not an achievement at all, then there's a lot in your life you're probably frustrated about. So yeah, there, there's no question about that in my mind. Well, I mean, like, isn't it problematic though a little bit when like in you know in 2020? You know, you get a lot of people throwing the word racist around mm -hmm. when there isn't anything racist even going on. Sure. And I, so I guess there, there is there's kind of an argument for not wanting to get involved in that type of, uh, I guess you'd call it like virtue signaling or pandering, Rhetoric. blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like, dude, I agree with you on the racism tip. And I even take it to the point where, like, like I love the idea of, like, people from different races fucking having kids and breeding out the races. Because I think racism is that fucking stupid. I don't have any sort of pride in my race. I'm not ashamed of my race. If my race is something that I had no hand in. That, that, that's mm -hmm. just how I look at this stuff. Um, but like, at, at the same time, you know, like, couldn't you say that somebody, somebody that was racist, right? Sure. It, it's, isn't racism kind of like, couldn't somebody be racist and be libertarian? Sure. In that, like racism could um you know in some cases just be some sort of preference right yeah i mean and, so there, there's like this person could not break could possibly like not break the nap they're not uh, committing acts of aggression like like against people yeah let's say they have like like racist preferences and you know and, and, and that person although like we might despise their preferences we might you know like majorly disagree with them that mm -hmm. person could be a greater ally than some anti-racist communist who wants to like take 90% of your income. I mean, there, 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 there's truth to the right. <laughs> but, but, but let me, let me tell you where that, where the truth of that, at least for me sort of starts to fall apart, which is, you know, people will often make the, the argument that in a libertarian society, you can do whatever you want. And that's true. And they'll say in a libertarian society, you can be in a free libertarian society. You can be socialist as long as you're not forcing it on anybody else. Also true. Every, every part of that's true. And you're right. In, in a libertarian society, you can, you know, have a business or, or a house or buy a huge pot of land and be just about as racist as you want. All, all of that's true. And you can say, I will not, you know, go to any minority owned businesses ever. You have all of those rights. What, what political experience has shown me is that when people have those type of, of, of views, they very quickly become views that they're happy to force on people. Libertarian Socialist Caucus. You know, when, the, when, you, when I spoke to a lot of the people that are one-on-one, -on -one, they're like, yeah, you know, you can do what you want in a libertarian society. Yeah, fair. That's a fair point. But when they were on stage, they were calling for forced Medicare for all. It sounds they like they, they tried to practically gang rape you. What's that? They tried to practically gang rape you. Yeah, I don't know about all that, but they definitely <laughs> did try to get forced Medicare for all. And they Funny. fought in favor of not just libertarian socialism, but just socialism. 
And when you see people who are libertarian and arguably racist, people like Stefan Molyneux, yeah, he starts out by saying, well, government shouldn't do anything. And then he ends up by letting his personal preferences be something he wants to have force on everybody else. And so I'm suspicious. Right. I mean, and, and, and that's, that's not to say that somebody could have like a ton of integrity and be like, listen, I'm right. I respect people and I'm not going to force my will on anybody. I'm just personally very, very racist. And you're right. That person could exist. I just don't think that person does exist. Right. Dude, and I'm <laughs> so totally like, happy to be proven wrong on that. I mean, it, dude, it's it like does seems said, kind of crazy to imagine somebody like that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, I just can't, I just don't see it. I mean, that's, that's just like you know people have said like listen when you when i go after like public school teachers they say like well somebody could be a public school teacher radically oppose the existence of public schools radically oppose all welfare programs i'm like yeah you're right that person could exist i've never met that person yet even inside of libertarian circles but you're right that person theoretically could exist and if that person does exist anywhere in the world i apologize for that one to zero per people but for the other 99% or the other nearly 100%, I don't apologize because stealing is stealing. I, you know, like I'm, I'm not at all, at all it, like triggered by the, the Jorgensen tweet, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I think it's, I think it's cool. And like I said, like racism is against my personal preferences, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, it's just like, you know, I, I, I do see, I do see somewhat of an argument in an age where like everything is called racist and everybody to the right of Hillary Clinton is a Nazi. You know, sure. it's like everybody's just throwing around these words and it's like, we probably don't want to be a part of that. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's, it, it, she is placing herself in a relevant discussion that, uh, like Trump and, uh, Biden are horrible on. So, you know, right. it, it's, it's probably in the long run, it's I think it's, politi- a great, it's, it's a great move for the party. Yeah. Like, you know, I've actually saw, I actually saw like, uh, Tim Poole referred to this as, um, what, what did he say? He for said Aleppo this, moment. This, yeah. This is Joe Jorgensen's Aleppo moment. Which is just ridiculous. Hey, I mean, listen, <laughs> yeah. I have a, I'm, I'm, I'll be open. I have a much stronger preference for Jorgensen than I did for Johnson. I just, just that, that's where I am on this. And the simple fact is, I mean, Joe Jorgensen, I mean, she's a big, huge nerd. So she's, she's not going to have a lot of Aleppo moments. She's just too smart for it. Right. I mean, she's a professor. She's a PhD. She's a super successful entrepreneur. And she's not, she's not like, you know, just like, like a guy who's like sort of like, unaware of what's going on in the world like she is very 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 smart dude, i don't expect I, I her to have any lepo moments. i just don't see it happening dude I, I thought you were really feeling that johnson didn't you have like a profile banner <laughs> yeah i preferred him to trump and i preferred him to to clinton no i was feeling him too i was just i was just, I was just making a joke i'm gonna fight in favor of him obviously i mean that, that's yeah. kind of what i signed on to do but I didn't vote for him during the convention. You know what I mean? Like, no, I, yeah, I, I gotcha. I, gotcha. I didn't vote for him. I, I didn't want well to be the, the, the vice president. So there is, yeah, there, there, there's a bit of a difference over there. You know, it, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing though. When you think about it, you know, how far we went in four years uh, with the LP, you know, cause we went from like weld in 2016 to spike. Like, Cohen to spike. Cohen. <laughs> it's crazy, dude. Like, fuck. Yeah. And so that's what I mean when I, when I was talking about it earlier, you know, like when I say like our team one, I'm like, yeah, our team one. I mean, we put in tons of work, you know, at the beginning or, you know, just me and Adam Kokesh kind of like setting the stage for like what belongs inside of libertarian debate. You know, p- people often say, you know, when you're invited to speak, people say like, you know, it's best to be the keynote speaker, right? The last speaker. I never want to be the last speaker. I want to be the first speaker. I want to set the tone. I want, I want to say, this is what we're talking about during this whole day. Let me be incendiary. Let me set the tone. And in a large way, you know, Adam Kokesh, Kim Ruff, Dan Berman, you know, these are people that are, it's not just that they're radical, right? Because a lot of people can be radical. It's that they are so intelligent. They are so deeply considered in their radicalism. They create a whole thing that you can discuss and talk about and have so many nuanced and intelligent discussions. Listen, during this campaign, I learned more from those guys than I had in like the previous four years just being the libertarian movement. I learned a lot from them and that set the stage. It set the conversation. And you know, I think that if, if, if we'd all just kind of hang, decide to hang back, right? which is what the LNC wanted us to just kind of hang back and wait and see what happened. I'm not sure that we have had, had the same results. So, you know, I, I publicly thanked all of them because, because that, that, that paved the way. Now I want to say, what can we do in the next four years? We got, if we got Spike on, on there as the running mate, let's see what we can do in four more years. Let's see how radical we can get, how powerful we can make this movement. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's exciting Definitely. stuff. So, 
now like uh at the convention like you were getting pretty fired up from what i've heard right so i wasn't at i wasn't in the in the live convention uh, well yeah I, not not orlando but the the one before that when uh when uh, jorgensen won Oh yeah, I was getting yeah, pretty fired up. Yeah. Of course, it's a convention. I'm obviously not going to just like kind of hang out and play it chill. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, you know, I fought, I fought my hardest. You know, I, I didn't get the nomination. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, you know, a lot of this, as I've said, is a cultural war. Uh, part of that cultural war is how do we change culture outside the LP. Part of it is how do we change culture inside the LP. And you know, when I when I think back to this kind of kind of stuff that I used to get in trouble for when I was on the LNC, like when I, when I was a representative at large. If I would post something like, you know, ending gun laws or, or getting rid of public schools, not only would there be a million nasty comments on the Facebook page, but I would hear about it from state chairs, uh, from county chairs, from various members of the LP, like influential people in the LP. Nowadays, it's just not that. You, know, you can talk about abolishing government schools or legalizing guns all day long. There's almost like a competition going on to see who can be the most bold and intense about talking about legalizing machine guns today and that wasn't the case just a few years ago so that cultural war that so many of us have fought that you guys especially have fought i mean the the influence that you guys have not just in the libertarian movement in, in the libertarian party sorry but in the libertarian movement that's around it is huge i mean you see you know i i mentioned this to you i i, I was at i was at my then girlfriend now wife's uncle's house and he was just wearing a punk rock libertarian t-shirt. He's not like a major LP guy or anything. Oh, like that. damn, that's awesome. That's fucking cool. <laughs> so, so, I mean, like, it's, it's, you guys have a lot of influence, right? And that kind of culture shift, that awakening, that's so incredibly important. And, and you know, as, as, as someone that goes around the country talking to people, people listen to this show, right? People like talk about this show. People get into this show, and that is how we change culture. That's how you guys are changing culture. That's how this happens. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's I'm a big uh, a big proponent of that, dude. It's like the the culture will change before the the politics will. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, culture yeah. changes first. Politics changes. Politics second. is downstream of culture. Definitely a beautiful way to put it for sure. Yeah. yeah, like uh, 100%, man. I, I totally, I totally agree with that, you know. And uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm thankful for everybody and their political efforts too, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. I, uh, but yeah, man. However, however we get there, you know, I think we, we really need to hit it from like all fronts, you mm-hmm. know. But uh, that, that's really awesome to hear you say that, dude. Um, we've, I've loved having you on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, and actually, you know, you mentioned schools, and uh, mm-hmm. Jim Colley actually wanted to talk to you about school. All right, go for it. I was just kind of wondering, so what's your take on, uh, it seems to me that this COVID thing mm-hmm. led to a situation in which you've got a, a whole bunch of parents sure. who uh, are used to their kids being on a regular basis, going to public schools and doing that whole thing, sure. and now aren't doing that. Mm-hmm. and have been uh, have been exposed to alternative means of education, you know, be it uh, ho- un- homeschooling or uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, if you know about unschooling. Sure. Um, do you see that as being? Uh, do you see? Do you think this COVID thing could be kind of a catalyst to a, a paradigm shift in that kind of regard? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it certainly has been in education, and it's. I mean, it's it's like any paradigm shift. It's messy, right? Uh, you know, a lot of parents are genuinely shocked at how little their kids know about stuff, right? Because, you know, you get the report cards, they're all A's and smiley faces and all that. And then, you know, you, you, you know, parents have said, you know, I signed like this task. I'm like, that's, and, and it seemed like to me like a normal thing that somebody that age can do, but it was just total garbage. And here's the thing. And this is the thing that, that, that we see in my business often is that often parents just simply have no idea how badly the schools are failing them unless until they come up against something else, right? Maybe an SAT test or, or an AP exam or some external thing, or they themselves will like read a, read a, like an essay that the student wrote and they'll, they'll call and say, you know, I don't know what to say. I mean, this, this, my, 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 my student, my child has been getting straight A's, but I looked at this essay and it was unbelievably bad. We're like, what is happening? Am I crazy? I'm like, no, this is actually very, very calm. So, so, so we've, uh, we've been doing a lot of things and we, we started, you know, people in my campaign, people in my business, we started something called the AP homeschool project. Right. And the goal there is to show people in high school 
how to create a college prep, hyper academic, hyper rigorous program for themselves for free. Because we wanted to show, I mean, a lot of the problem with homeschool is it takes a lot of time to figure this stuff out, right? Like if you don't have somebody telling you what to do, you can take like a while to figure out what book to buy, right? So we took all of our, you know, many decades of combined expertise and said, here's what to do. Here's how to do it. If you want to for free, have something better than Exeter or Andover or LaRosie or whatever, here's how to do it. And, and at Bora Method, we have students at from Exeter and Andover and LaRosie and every top school in the world, Stuyvesant to use, you know, magnet schools or TJ. We know where they're at and we know how to get ahead of it. So that's definitely been something that's been getting a decent amount of popularity. I've had a few interviews on, on, on specifically on that. Um, but yeah, we're seeing a lot of people who are just, just awakening to a different possibility. And it's not always perfect. It's not always easy. It's not supposed to be. It's, it's the beginning of a new direction in education for a lot of families. Now, here's a question for you about education. Mm -hmm. With the way we're switching to online schooling, schooling and whatnot, what do you think is the catalyst for people to not want to change to a more remote or a less government-handed school system? Why do you think mm -hmm. they don't want to have to change anything? It's all right. So it's, it's a comfort thing, right? So, so here's, here's, here's an analogy, right? When, when people first get into say exercise, right? Everyone who says like, listen, I got to get in shape and start exercising. They all do the same thing. They find like the most official, expensive, elaborate piece of equipment that's later going to just ferment in their basement, right? Whereas people who have a little bit more experience, you know, a lot of, you know, world-class athletes or, you know, fitness enthusiasts are like, yeah, I just need a floor and some gravity and maybe a pull-up bar. And, right. and so, you see that that need for officialness from beginners. And that's that's universal. When people are beginners at a thing, they want some official thing telling them that this is the official way to do it. And when they're experts at a thing, they just don't care anymore, right? So we have a lot of beginners and they just want, they just, they're like, I want this to be the official way to do homeschooling, the right way to do homeschooling. Give a lot of these people a little bit of experience and you're going to see that change a lot. You know, right now, a lot of people simply don't know the materials that are out there. They just don't know what books are out there. They don't know what videos are out there. They know that there are some books somewhere. They don't know which ones to use. And so because they're so worried, they want some authority figure to tell them something. As you see more and more innovation happening, I mean, this, this summer, like I used to have this rule in my business. I was going to stop working like every day, say, say by midnight. That has been out the window. I work till like 3, 4 a.m. most days because we're building so much stuff. And it's not just my business. It's every educational business is innovating just 24-7 right now. And we're, gonna, we're starting to see great things come out, both from ourselves and from our competitors. That's what's going to change this. When there's this marketplace of all kinds of amazing things that are a complete replacement and then some for what you think you're getting in public school. You're not actually getting, but what you think you're getting, that's where this change happens. So would you say as has the uh, COVID like grown your business? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, obviously people have, have a lot more interest in, in alternative forms of education. Um, the, the other thing about, about COVID is that you just don't, you have, it, you know, where you're, in, in any education business, you're not just competing with school, right? You're also competing with uh, other activities and a lot of other activities simply aren't happening right now. Right. So. <laughs> So, 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 and that's, so many yeah, I think, I think most educational, <laughs> most online education business are seeing some, like a bit of a surge. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've expanded our, 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 our offerings, you know, a lot and our number of teachers and just, I mean, basically every part of it's been expanding. That's uh, awesome. So I, I got it. So I, uh, I have a son who is two. And Ooh. so right now at this stage, it's, it's fairly easy to do homeschooling slash unschooling <laughs> yeah, stuff because that takes the form. Uh, and, but I do. It's like, you know, I don't just, you know, put him somewhere and whatever. Like, uh, he's very interested in astronomy. Sure. Which is cool. My two-year-old can tell you more about, like, the planets and stuff than most adults could. Yeah. You know, I'd yeah. be like, what's wow. the first planet to the sun? Be like, Mercury. And yeah. uh, which one has rings? Saturn. Right and, on, right on. And so we do stuff like uh, in the course of trying to pursue his interests, he learns organically. Sure. Uh, you know, whether it's videos, you know, I got like a tablet thing for him and he'll just sure. explore on like YouTube kids and stuff. Mm -hmm. and, uh, 
and then he'll tell me he wants to go outside, go to a river. We have a, we have a river right near us and, you know, go into the woods and stuff. And he comes to learn just in the course of, of living life. And I'm, I'm really hoping to be able to just keep that model going for him as, as long as he wants anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I only have him some of the time. I have sure. half time, so, you know, it's not that simple. Right, right. But uh, I, I would really like to see paradigms like this catch on more. You know, I feel like you get uh, autodidacts. You get people that are specialists in what they're interested in. Yeah. That might not necessarily know Pythagorean theorem or something, you know, as long as, unless it happens to factor into what they like. But there's, there seems to be this myth that it's very prominent. I was just arguing this recently. There's this myth that for, if a child never, like, you know, is stuck in a classroom and has, has paperwork crammed down their throat for eight hours a day, then they can't conceivably know how to read or something like they, that. Yeah, no, I've, 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 and, and the thing is we like at, at, in my business at Bora Method, we have to like, we deal with the fallout of that, right? Because if you remove curiosity from learning, it, it actually has a lot, a really damaging effect on the way people read. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. so a lot of people come us to come to us for, you know, for SATs and things like things like that. And the way they've trained their mind to read, when they think of reading, they think of forcing themselves to cram some information that they hate into their mind for a short period of time. And obviously, if that's your way of reading, you're just not going to have a high reading score. You're not going to be good at reading. You're not going to be reading critically or even curiously. And so that idea that you need to like beat people's curiosity out of them to somehow get them more education, more educated is false and damaging. And, you know, it's kind of pretty challenging to fix it, it you know we spend just i don't even know how many hours discussing ways to restore somebody's natural curiosity so so what i would say is yeah i mean that, that's right on like curiosity is the driving force of any kind of real learning if you remove curiosity you are turning into, dr- into, into drudgery and you're just teaching people to hate knowledge and if you don't believe that people can be learned that taught to hate knowledge go to any school in the country at the end of exams and listen and here's what you'll hear thank god the stupid stuff is over i can't wait to forget it all that's what hating knowledge looks like and that is something that has to be creative created it is not organic it is not normal it is not part of the human condition it is not part of human genetics it is bizarre and it shouldn't exist and it has been created by a toxic school system it's a i like to say that's what an arranged marriage is to romance compulsory education <laughs> is to learn. I like that one. That's a good one. Well, good. guys, speaking of toxic school system, one of the reasons why I became a libertarian was when I was a child, I was diagnosed with ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, extreme hyperactivity is, was part of it. The school system decided to convince my mother that the right course of action action was to put me on Ritalin from mm-hmm. second grade to almost 10th grade. Mm-hmm. I didn't like being on that stuff. That stuff alters your personality. Yeah. I think that these so types of decisions actually destroy organic curiosity as you were talking about. Yeah. Um, I felt like the stuff took 10 years to get out of my blood system you know out of my mind yeah before i was actually an expressive and you know functional fully functional person that's yeah part of my big issues with the school system is that when you suggest a drug in order to control something mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily need to be controlled. You need to educate that person differently than you educate the rest of the herd. Yeah. And we shouldn't be treating humans that are learning as herd animals, just sticking 40 of them in a room, putting one teacher in front of them to preach at you. Yeah. And see, if you look at the numbers, right, something like 11% of 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 kids are at some point medicated for for ADHD. Eleven percent? Are you kidding me? Well, that's insane. I mean, that's that's that is not. If something it has like an eleven percent prevalence in the population, I mean, that's shocking in the extreme. 
And the fact is you have drug companies just make a lot of money from it. And right. drug make companies take about of 20 the billion a year from this, which is, by the way, to put that in perspective, that's about the size of corn subsidies. It is major, yeah. major exploitative business for these people. And yeah, I mean, we've, we've worked, one of the, one of the actual, one of the offerings of, of my business is, is an ADHD detox because I don't believe that turning curiosity into sullen obedience is education. I think it's the worst thing you can do to a person. Mm-hmm. And we do, I mean, we, like every time I'm given a chance to speak on the topic, I certainly, I, I certainly take advantage of it. And we talk about that with our students. A lot of our students come in, you know, just like heavily just medicated into submission. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we talk when we talk with the parents and like, there are other forms of education other than shut up and do what I tell you. That's like education. Right. That's obedience training. Right. Yeah. It's like yeah. It's even worse than training that. your dog. It's even worse than that. When you look at it objectively for what it is, generally mm-hmm. what leads to these medications being prescribed is you have a, a child, an energetic child who wants to have fun and yeah. you're that child and you put them somewhere they very well may not want to be at all and you, and then sit still all day and listen to this person and do the paperwork and oh my god why is this child not engaged in this and then because no one so would be you yeah. take the, you take these chemicals these amphetamines and you cram it down the child's throat in order to zombify them in order mm-hmm. to make them more docile and complacent and quiet and sitting still and really it's making them more anxious. Uh, I, this was me. When I was a kid, they stuck, uh, they made me take that Adderall and Focalin, which is basically Ritalin. Sure. And uh, it wasn't until like seventh grade or something I realized I could just sell it that people will buy it. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that. Yeah, now here, here's the thing. I mean, people often talk about how, how um, the, the main difference between something like Adderall and something like Crystal Meth is just the way in which it's, it's taken. You know, you don't, most people don't smoke Adderall, right? Um, right. And, I have tried out of intrigue. We say that one more time, sorry? <laughs> I was prescribed Adderall when I was a kid, and I loved drugs when I was a kid, so I did try smoking, and it didn't really do anything. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So, so one of the—I mean—one of the things about about meth is that one of its more puzzling side effects is it does kind of lead to repetitive behaviors. Um, you know, you've probably seen that, like in in you know TV shows that that portray people like very high on meth, and and that's that's what it does. I mean, the Adderall and stuff like that—they they in they make repetitive, simplistic behaviors easier to tolerate, but they make creative problem solving nearly impossible to do. So mm. it's like you kind of like gain the thing that's not that valuable at the expense of the thing that's super valuable. Now imagine right, right now, you probably, you're, you know, you, you watch your son, right? And you see that in his instinct, he's constantly engaging creative problem solving. You might not call it that. You might call it like, you know, trying to escape from the kitchen door that I put so he doesn't hurt himself. But it is his version of creative problem solving. You know what I'm saying? Like that is what people do. We are creative problem solvers. We come into an obstacle and we figure out some way around and that's amazing and that's beautiful and that's what it's supposed to be. It is not supposed to be just like low-grade obedience. That's not education. That's not anything. And that's why, you know, that's why I think ending public schools is we are many years closer to it. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of COVID, obviously. I mean, I think it's just a terrible thing, (laughs) but it has moved us ahead in this one area. There is a small positive and a big negative. Silver lining, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Matt, you got any other? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, so Jake McCauley wanted to speak about Arvin's testicles. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Arvin's I was like, I wasn't okay. expecting that one. But, okay. No, it's like, it's like no, how, how, how awkward can I be? <laughs> how awkward can I make this? Yeah, this is PRL, man. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm getting into, and I want to mind you guys. I don't know anything goes. I don't know anything goes. I have no delusions of, of, of you know, gentility. Of professionalism. Professionalism, that's going to be the title. What is it? Delusions of professionalism. <laughs> that's a good one, yeah. Speaking of what Arvin said a second ago, I, uh, I haven't taken amphetamines in years, right? Uh, as mm-hmm. soon as I could, I was no longer taking the Adderalls and all that. I still have the repetitive behaviors that I did that I developed while I was on them. Like I crack my joints in like a meth head incessantly. Yeah. I have tried meth once. I hated it. It just made me, it it was like Adderall intensified, like just more 
anxious and jittery and made my wang shrivel up like an acorn. And That's super <laughs> weird, man. It not, I don't get how like Matt, whatever floats your boat. Yeah, it should be your right and all that. But, um, but I still, I can't stop. I, and it's, I don't even just crack my own. You know, Rachel's, my, my fiance has been on this show too. And I sit and crack her joints too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say my behavior <laughs> stopped when I was about 25. Yeah, I, I, but I mean, you, you're, you do make a good point. I mean, there is no medicine on earth that doesn't have a side effect that I've ever heard of uh, that any doctor I've asked this question to has ever heard of. I've said, you know, I just, I've asked, is there, is there some drug that has no side effect? And so far I've gotten no positive answers rather than just like, are you kidding me? Of course they all have side effects. That's just, that's what medicine is. You try right. to mitigate placebos? That. Is that a technical? Say that one more time. Placebos. Yeah. Yeah. I guess placebos do have their, have the side effect. Like their primary effect is nothing. And their secondary effect is making you feel good about stuff. <laughs> Third tri- trinary effect of sugar. Yep. That's true. Oh, true. There you go. Get a little bit of sugar. Sure. I'm curious what would happen if you gave somebody a placebo, uh, that they think is one of the, uh, death with dignity pills. Like they, you know, a terminally ill person who thinks they're killing themselves, <laughs> give them a placebo and like, do they, will they act like they're dying? I'm not sure. I'm that. almost certain that that experiment has never been done. Yeah, it seems a little unethical. <laughs> of, of the various experiments, I don't think that they're ever, you know, at, the, at least so far, no one has ever done a placebo-controlled, double-blind death. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I mean, the that state would, be, would allow them, man. I mean, I'm, I'm libertarian, right? But even I would say, like, listen, I'm not saying that you can't do that experiment, but you might want to, like, rethink that experiment. That one starts kind of, that one starts kind of, sounds kind of dark to me. <laughs> People get upset and start killing themselves because they don't die. Yeah. That would be weird. Or well, what Jay, if you, you, therapeutic you, thing? What if in the course of, like, it's been two hours since I took this pill. Why am I not dead yet? I must hey, be the Wolverine. Do I, really want to be dead? <laughs> I must be immortal. I'm the Highlander. Cannot be stopped. <laughs> well, Jake, but, you had you had questions about, uh, or you said you were in an argument before this about uh, circumcision. Oh yeah, yeah. Like right up until this show, I uh, I like to argue on Facebook all the time, mm-hmm. and I posted in a group called "This is a Weird Hill to Die On." Um, mm-hmm. I posted something along the lines of that, you know, my penis, my choice. That was the sentiment behind it. That's sure. not my word, but. Immediately, I was impressed to see this. Immediately, it had like 160 positive reacts to it. Like you know, within a few minutes. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I've, I've, you know, when, when I was when I was writing the book, pull out men, modern life, and mutiny. It was one of the, the issues that I researched, and it's it, there's there's a lot of complicated things about it, right? For for whatever it's worth, is that as because people today live, you know, a lot longer. That a, that it's fairly common today for people who are who are not circumcised to then need to be circumcised, like you know, in their like late seventies or early eighties. And I've heard it can be fairly painful. Um, but 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 the but but yeah, I do think that these are things that need to be critically thought about, right? It's it's the idea that this is just like what you do no matter what, and we're not going to think through it. That to me is is a little bit a little bit risky. I think you think through it carefully, you weigh all the things, you look at the positives and negatives. And then you do your best to make a choice, you know, as, as the guardian of your child. Yeah. Like I, I definitely don't think I would want to get circumcised when I was 80. Yeah. yeah and I've, I've heard <laughs> it's pretty weird. awful. Very, very painful. People that get circumcised when they're older, they can get anesthetic. They can be put under general anesthetic. I would say more importantly, it's a choice they've themselves made. Yeah. They've made the choice themselves. Yeah. I don't ever remember being circumcised. So I don't either. Yeah, I'm, I'm I think I'm cool I don't with it. the fact that it happened. <laughs> I wish I <laughs> just been. saying. I uh, I was circ- I was circumcised in a religious fashion. I am Jewish, so I had a brisk. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm, I was brought up Catholic. I don't know what I had. I think they just cut that shit. <laughs> I have come up with a Jewish argument against uh, bris against Brit Milah, which is so Brit Milah is carried out as uh, it's supposed to represent a covenant between man and God. And I understand, I'm not religious myself, but I understand that if I'm talking to somebody and in their perception, it's my word against God's, like I'm just promulgating my 
earthly ethical principles, but in my view or in their view, I'm contradicting God. I, what I say is going to have very little, if any, effect on their opinion. Yeah. So I have been making a, a Jewish argument because I, I went to Jewish school when I was a kid. Sure. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've been making the Jewish argument that nowhere in the Torah does it actually say that it has to be done to a baby. It says that men should be circumcised as a covenant between man and God. And my argument is what legitimacy is there to a covenant that is not self-sought? So wait, the argument, right? So wait, uh, like an infant can't sign a social contract you need to actually be some semblance of an adult, say, yes, right. I agree to these social rules. Just like with the Mayflower Flower Compact, it wasn't signed by a bunch of babies. It was signed by grown adults, right? Right. And, and I think that there's, there is, I mean, I've, I've heard that theological argument made that says that if, if there's going to be a covenant between God and man, it needs to be between God and man, not God and infant. But Jake, where did the whole eight days come from then? There was, you're supposed to wait, what is it, eight days or... I, I don't some remember. period of time I, that was a rabbinical argument probably See, most yeah of modern most of contemporary judaism is based on rabbinical interpretations yeah, of the torah sure. rather it's than it's like the supreme stuff. court like trying to decipher the yeah. constitution and exactly. fucking it up yeah. this is part of why there's so many jewish lawyers and like everyone knows yeah. you want, <laughs> largely you want to do lawyer i've never <laughs> heard that before that's what judaism <laughs> Lawyer God. And right. some, of the, some of the more conspicuous Jewish traditions that you can see are clearly can't have been in the Torah. Like Jews right. won't drive on Shabbos. Religious Jews will not drive a car on Shabbos. I guarantee you, it does not say anywhere in the Torah that you cannot drive a car on Shabbos. Right. It's all just derivative of some it was a passage yeah. of, uh, I believe it's closing a circuit. Like closing a circuit and or the creation of fire. And they decided to very inconveniently include electricity right, and right. fire. Yeah. All right. All right. Infant circumcision was largely out of convenience because, uh, in theory, circumcision comes from Abraham or Abraham. Mm -hmm. uh, and Abraham circumcised himself as mm -hmm. per direct word of God. He circumcised himself as a grown-ass man. He cut his own foreskin off. And... And so based on that, Jews are, are supposed to, Jewish men are supposed to circumcise. I would think they're supposed to, in some regard, emulate his behavior of, of you know, self-seeking it. Um, but it was decided later on that it's easier to just do it when the person's a baby because Jewish culture was, and in some circles still is, so strong as compared to any other value that a, an individual member of it might have for themselves that it's a given that of course they'll be cool with it it was never even a question and yeah. i think most most jewish men today most religious jewish men today who are circumcised and were brought up in like an orthodox jewish family and stuff and have maintained it into adulthood uh have no problem with it. they're fine and they would have done it on their own yeah right uh, I, was a I cultural think liability could be a good go ahead Sorry, I, I always thought the circumcision was a cultural thing that was aimed to pre prevent um, some uh, dermatitis issues with the foreskin later in life. Yeah, I mean, that's how a lot of the Jewish law came about, right? Like, so, like, all the, you know, the kosher laws, the not eating the pig, mm -hmm. the not eating, um, you know, uh, seafood, that sort of stuff is because that stuff tended to be unclean right and we did they didn't have pasteurization or any sort of purification methods or at least advanced purification methods um yeah. and i imagine yeah that probably ties into the whole circumcision thing and it just neatly got folded into a covenant with god to you know make it make people it's, obey yeah, yeah I mean, to sell it a little bit better. it's like you know people saying like just like the way i'm gonna get these guys to do is to say god said it or did <laughs> yeah. god say it because he wanted to protect them and who knows right 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 Chicken but, or the egg. but but yeah i mean I, th I think i think a lot of this gets down to this idea of of removing the concept of of implied consent from at least our politics if not religion at least from our politics and i think a big part of that is just, it, I think it's time for us to reject the idea of implied social contracts. I think a social contract 
needs to be as our original social contracts were actively signed like like somebody signs a thing like people sign the mayflower compact they weren't just assumed to have signed it right yeah that's that's like the the most basic idea of a contract like you get you get in the loss and all the laws but one of the most basic ideas of a social contract contract is like a fallacy you know it's just meant to like justify it somehow but of of course you can't really have a contract unless like both parties consent yeah and they're, you know, they're saying you would have agreed to it. And I'm like, well, that's factually false. I would not have agreed to it. And I don't agree to this. Stop pretending yeah. like I've agreed to a thing that I'm telling you right now and for my entire life that I don't. I think, I, I think that, that needs to be, I mean, that bizarre bit of philosophy needs to be just thrown out the window. I think there is a remedy as far as circumcision goes in particular mm-hmm. as to like this person would have wanted it when they're older. And that very well may be true. It often is. Mm-hmm. But others, like me, wish it hadn't happened. Mm-hmm. I think solution could be, and this is true, this applies whether you have a governmental legal system or preferably, in my view, a free market legal system, sure. tort liability. Let tort liability apply. If you're that sure mm-hmm. that your kid, that you're raising your kid in such a fashion that as an adult, they would have wanted it and they'll be glad you did it, then you got nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. But if they don't like it having been done to them, they can sue you. It's interesting. There, there's a there's a precedent for that actually in Germany. That's the way that that sexual consent is handled. If there's a significant age difference between the two parties, the younger person, if at any point he or she felt that 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 he or she was taken advantage of, they can sue the older person. Like they, it's like up to that person to say yes, I was wrong by that person. So in in cultures like that, people are really careful, which I think is how it should be. And people should be very careful, especially if there's any kind of, you know, a power differential. But what po- could be a possibly be a greater power differential but than like an adult and an infant? I mean, that is the ultimate power differential. And so I think, yeah, the idea of having tort law or or something similar like that handled, I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah. So um, Jake, did you want to speak at all? Did you want to touch on animal rights? Oh, yeah, because we were talking about that earlier. Yeah. Um, I, I probably shouldn't, but so... <laughs> Let's get into it, right? This is one area where how I feel about things totally contradicts how I think about things. Okay. In that I love animals. I okay. have worked with animals quite a bit. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I've worked on an alpaca ranch and a cattle ranch, as well as a puppy farm. When I was younger, I actually had a job as a puppy socializer. I was paid to sit and play with puppies. Not, not, not even cleaning up after everybody, just play with puppies so to get them acclimated to awesome. interact with people and make them nice. It was cool. It was really cool. I love it. And I think people that hurt animals, you know, especially sadistically or something, yeah. are scumbag people. But That's a pretty safe bet there, yeah. Based on my ethical principles, I can't justify a, a conception of rights that is denoting force. Uh, on their behalf. And what I mean by that is, so my conception of rights is based on that people have disputes with each other pertaining to the use of force. And in order to resolve these disputes without warfare, without just constant war, whenever people disagree, you defer to an arbitrator of some kind that can be a government court. I'd rather it be a a free market mediator of some kind. But but and and have- most of the time, just to interject over there, because I do want to point out that most of the time when most of us have a disagreement with, with, with a business, we use a free market mediator, but because it's done by the free market, it's so fast and so painless, we don't even realize it's happened. You know, most of the time when I've had a disagreement with a, with a, with a business, it's been like, you know, this t-shirt from Amazon was the wrong size. And I pick from a dot drop down, the arbiter, in this case, Amazon, immediately decides in my favor. And it's so fast that I don't even have time to feel victorious. So, yeah. but, but, but go ahead, go ahead. I don't want to get too off the topic. I used to be in uh, the insurance industry and it's the same way. Yep. Insurance, all insurance disputes where legally allowed are settled by private arbitration. And that's every minute of every day insurance companies are having disputes. You know, there's mm-hmm. a car crash and, and it was your guy's fault. But mm-hmm. uh, so we defer to an arbitrator of some kind to avoid direct, con- to avoid warfare and generally, we want this to be done based on some kind of ethical code, preferably mm-hmm. based on the mutual ends of the disputants. I'm actually writing a book about that. Because uh, I, right I think this lends to an objective form of morality based on praxeology. The book's going to be called The Science of Morality. Um, uh, 
But so we want dispute resolution based on the mutual ends of the disputants, something that works for both of us. Otherwise, we wouldn't defer to that arbitrator. And, and therein lies the basis for rights. I would say that there are ends which uh, neither party to any dispute can deny in themselves without a performative contradiction in the process. Mm-hmm. An objective way you can arrive at rights. Sure. And if you follow that process to its logical conclusion, you arrive at the non-aggression principle. You arrive yeah. at the same basic principle that everybody kind of inherently expects of everyone else. You, it's uh, similarly, like you reference Molyneux, uh, he calls a similar thing universal, universally preferable behavior. Um, so rights being conceived in dispute resolution then would be limited to potential participants of dispute resolution. And insofar as we know, so insofar as we know, uh, that's just people. To say that you can have rights without the ability to engage in arbitration of some kind, it's kind of like saying you can score a touchdown without playing football. Yeah. So I don't have an objective basis to say that animals have rights. And also, kind of pragmatically, if you did, like the, you, you get to some pretty crazy logical conclusions of that. I mean, ultimately, of course, that would mean all meat is murder. But how far... Pets are, are all slaves. It would yeah. You sound like PETA, basically. The entire human race, and that a, a lion is morally culpable for the murder of a gazelle and stuff, sure. right? <laughs> responsibility and all that. So, um, I can't justify animal rights. I have to adopt the, and I'm generally a Rothbardian. This is one place it doesn't feel right for me to adopt the Rothbardian position, but I kind of have to. Yeah, I mean, to, to a certain extent, I think that's true, right? But. And there, and, and so, so it, it's like this, right? I mean, the, the parallel to that, that comes to mind right away uh, is that I would say that most libertarians that I've spoken to, at the very least, dislike abortion. They don't, they don't think it's a good idea, right? And while many, including myself, don't believe in the, that a government should be involved in it, in my case, I don't believe the government should be involved in anything at all, they still doesn't mean they think it's a good idea, right? So the question becomes, are there tools at our disposal other than force? Like, do we have tools besides force? I mean, a contract in its nature is a thing that's going to be backed up by some kind of force, maybe financial force, physical force, whatever. And so I believe that in, in, our, in, a, in, in the way that we act, in our human action, we have many tools that have nothing to do with force. So, for example, if, if, if I see, um, you know, an animal being abused, right, there are things that I can do that don't involve any force. I can, you know, I can talk to the person doing it. I can publicly shame the person doing it. I can take videos of that person doing it in a way that's probably going to get him fired from any job that he's ever going to have. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of things that I can do that don't involve any kind of force. And so this comes down to this deep question of, do we have any responsibility to defend each other? And I think we do. I I think that there's, it's not a responsibility that needs to be backed up by force, but you know, if, if you're, you, you're walking down the street and you see somebody that's just like bleeding out on the ground. Yeah. There's no legal thing that says you have to do something, but it's still just really weird not to. (laughs) And I think that if we say like, yes, you shouldn't be forced to do it, but you still should do it. It's kind of like the counterpoint of the argument that that says no one should stop you from doing nothing but eating Cheetos and smoking meth all day. But while you have the right, you still probably shouldn't Right. Smoke math and eat Cheetos all day. We can have I other norms that, that, that I think that we have the right, the responsibility yeah. to say, like, to don't be barbaric. Right. Like, yeah, sometimes we need to eat meat, yeah. but there are different ways to go about it. No one says you need to torture a cow for 57 hours with, like, with an electrocution thing. <laughs> you, there are other things you can do, right? No one's right. saying that you, that you legally shouldn't be allowed to, but you still shouldn't do it. Oh, well, many do say that. I, well, sure, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't really think that that getting government involved in that will make any sense because I'll tell you one thing. If I, well, the government's not protecting this stuff. The, I mean, the government's the first thing I'd want is like, don't kill me. That's the first thing yeah. I would prefer to be in a cow fight than to be killed. 
I mean, I've yeah. done mixed martial arts. I'd rather be in a ring with somebody way bigger than me who's beating the hell out of me than to be humanely executed. That's yeah, just like, me. Like, I would say, like, like, if Jared saw his neighbor kicking his dog, you know, and if Jared punched the guy, like, I'd be like, I'd have no problem with that, you know? But <laughs> what I wouldn't do is if I saw my neighbor kicking his dog, I wouldn't call the cops. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's like I, mean, I, I think we ha- can have other norms outside of just the strict non-aggression principle and self-ownership mm-hmm. and property norms that we can use to, you know, regulate behavior with, like you said, without force, without using coercion or physical coercion, um, you know, shaming, that sort of thing. But we already do. Right. We already exactly. We already have, do. Yeah. Uh, it's... Many I mean, the lady, look at the lady that was yelling at the guy in the park that was like walking his dog or whatever or, or bird watching with his dog or whatever. Or no, she was like holding her dog like by its throat and yelling at some black guy for bird watching. And like she just got like torn a new asshole by the entire internet. And right. This is, this is the woman that uh, called the police on the guy who was bird watching. Yeah. So, I mean, there was multiple things going on, but I remember one part which I was like pretty disturbed by was the way she was just like, holding her dog by its throat, essentially, as she's yelling at this dude. So abusing her animal? Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, other cases, like, did Mike Vick have to go to jail for two years? I mean, probably not, right? I if, mean, If she can do that, you mean? Well, I'm not relating to that. I'm just saying, you know, I mean, running a dog ring is pretty brutal stuff. You know, does that mean he should be thrown in jail for two years? Um, you know, that... You know, I, I, like you said, under sort of Rothbardian property norms, you know, probably not. Um, but there are other ways to hurt him. Uh, you know, he gets fired from the NFL for two years. He gets yeah, I mean, that, that, publicly shamed. I mean, he, he like, got plenty of, of, what's that? Unironically, cancel culture. That is right. kind of another word for market blacklisting. Right, I think exactly. you have a poor market blacklisting. Like if, in a society where there's no monopoly on force, like fully libertarian, yeah. there would have no choice but to employ more formalized, probably, things like market blacklisting, things like lists of people who have been caught doing things that communities want nothing to do with, such as an HOA, such as businesses, insurance companies, uh, lenders, or what, you know, various whatever job you might go to. I have personally uh, been fired in this regard before. For my last insurance job, I was fired because I got doxxed for being inflammatory online, as I like to do. Mm. I was being not so nice to the police in my rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And, wow. uh, you know, I, I, I walk into the office one day and my uh, boss follows me into my office, very stern look on his face. And one thing leads to another, and I see on his phone. Um, so there was a cop in Baltimore who was pointing a gun at some teenagers in a car. Mm-hmm. Now, the teenagers were, it was a legitimate crime. Like, it was a burglary or something. But this, uh, so this cop was, like, pointing a gun at them. And they're in the car, and they ran her over. I don't know if y'all remember that. Uh, and Not precise, not exactly, no. So there was a WBAL post on Facebook about uh, like one of the kids was convicted of murder and everybody in the uh, everybody in the comments was you know fry them string them up bring back the death penalty I like to be a contrarian sometimes even more than I actually believe in and feel sure. <laughs> so I was like give them a medal give them a medal and, <laughs> give them a medal. and <laughs> And uh, just to piss people off and get people thinking and to be incendiary on purpose. And and at one point I see on my boss's phone, it was a meme that it's like a bunch of balloons and confetti and stuff. And it says, officer down. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> I see yeah. that on my phone. I know I'm joking. And I, I assume that, like, that kind of humor didn't go over well then. <laughs> no, the insurance agency was not too... They don't get it. <laughs> hey guys, well, uh, hey, uh, we ran over. Arvin, do you have anything that you that you want to plug before we end this? Uh, I mean, not not big. I mean, I just yeah. You know, th- those of you guys who are who are you know have kids in like you know like say like seventh through twelfth grade, and and you're looking to make sure that they have an advantage when it comes to this educational change, just check out aphomeschool.com. Everything on there's totally free. They'll give you the kind of guidance you need to make sure that you know 
you know what to do. And we have decades of experience that go into this and we're trying to help people out during this time when everyone's trying to figure out what to do about education. This will give you a clear path and you'll know exactly what to do on your own. And if you need any help, we're always around to help out with that. Nice, man. Awesome. Yeah, so um, this podcast is brought to you in part by Conversations About Freedom Podcast hosted by Moral Bob. We have t-shirts for sale at libertariancountry.com. If you type in the code PRL or the code PRL podcast, you'll receive a 10% discount. If you spend $50 or more and you use the code PRL2, you'll receive a 20% discount. Until next time, live free or die. That is shed. Drenching the flags on the tax bombs and bread. Was it by a few at the expense of the many? Soldiers and cards in the machine. You can't justify killing by economic gain. For God, country, democracy. You can put freedom in dead point in a far land. You support the troops that bring them home. I believe the jokes will do the best for you. And I believe that we. Have the power, have the power I hate the state And I know I'm a slave We can make a break Break the power, break the power Society of individuals Nothing more than not interference With natural rights With the virtuous person fully comprehends the non-aggression principle, the violence in the state becomes obsolete!